Right. Okay. So the purpose of regaining our inner territory is that we might be effective in the kingdom of God. To hear a message, be interested in its content, or challenged by it is not necessarily to learn or apply it. What you learn this week will revolutionise your life only to the extent that it becomes a continual part of your life and your devotional life. Many people will say to me, oh, I've, I've continuously challenged. And Joyce said to me, you know what the word challenged means? It's called to account. So if you're saying, oh, God's challenging me, actually he's calling you to account. <coughs> he's wanting a response. Uh, you get these little sayings in the Christian world, don't we? You know, oh, God's challenging me. Oh, yes, he challenged me about that six years ago. Have you done anything? No. Oh, well, you know where you are, don't you? Where you were six years ago. So God is not looking for help. He's looking for disciples who follow hard after him into his purposes, who will be strong and do exploits in these last days. Now, here comes another challenge for you, so you can write this down because this is what you can go away and think about at lunchtime. Our inner territory can be filled with many things. To establish what those things are, there's two questions. What consumes your thinking, or who consumes your thinking? can spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, you know. What do you spend most time thinking about? Identify this. That's the first thing. Then you know what takes up the major part of your thinking. The second question is, when your mind is at rest, where does it go? What does it meditate on then? If it doesn't come to the... Sorry, sorry. What does it meditate on then when it's at rest? If it doesn't come to the default position of thinking about Jesus, you have some inner territory which needs to be regained. Remember that this week is actually all about him wanting your heart totally. So what he's after is absolute surrender. You've been overcome, it's just that you're still not completely surrendered. And he will show you the areas of your life that are not under his lordship. Because you're still reserving the right to be lord of that part of your life yourself. I spoke to someone this morning and um, she was phoned me up last week because she thought the Lord had said she was to go on a Daniel fast. So I said, that's fine. Phoned me up a couple of days later. I'm having ever just a struggle with this fast. I said, well, are you sure it's the Lord? Well, I thought it was. I said, well, look, darling, just stop. Because if it isn't, he'll show you. Phoned me up this morning. Showed me my motive for fasting. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to lose weight. I said, you can't get away from it, can you, dear? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A good 
you will find the Holy Spirit will say to you as you grow on with him what's your motive for doing that what are you doing that for then oh well Lord I want to glorify you no you don't you want a bit of applause for yourself oh Lord I want people to know how great you are no you don't you're glorifying you glory stealers this particular person was something I had to talk to her about it was hard um, because whenever they came on the phone to tell me things they were telling me about what they had been doing but saying God's been doing this and that and the next thing but it was them that they were actually glorifying mm -hmm. and in the end I had to say sweetheart you're a glory stealer as gently as I could you know you are stealing the glory do you remember what happened on Saturday it took me a minute didn't it to, to twig what was going on Somehow or other, at the end of the conference, applause broke out. And I'm trying to hide my face, thinking it's for me. I sat down and I suddenly thought, Hey, Lord, this isn't for me, it's for you they're applauding. <laughs> so I joined in. Because <laughs> I thought, oh! Because it was just so funny. Uh, it was, and then it was brilliant, of course, that so we were all sort of shouting and clapping and applauding the Lord. It was just something else again there's an old hymn uh, that I w uh, that's an, that was it thank you father I knew he would remind me what I wanted to say to add to the list of the things about meditation and one thing and another is get yourself an old hymn book uh, and just if you don't know the tunes use them in your devotional times Joyce I'm always saying to Joyce bits of hymns and she says I don't know it and I've come to the conclusion she doesn't know it because it's something I've been using in my devotional time and I've got a hymn book I want to bring down during the rest of the week and just read out some of the hymns to you they are absolutely brilliant if you look at the things that are not all of them but a lot of what's coming out right now is is me centered it's lost being God centered and it's all oh, what you've done for me you know, which is true uh, but the one that I got a line of, and, and Gina, bless her, she found out what it was, um, was, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And um, the stanza before that is, When every earthly prop gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. She went on and did a search and found out which one it was. Uh, so let me put that down. Hymn book. Hymn book. It flitted, as I said, through my mind and I lost it. Matthew 7, we'll have a little look at now, uh, uh, 24 to 27. Very familiar scripture. Um, it's about the house built uh, on the rock and on the sand parable of the two builders therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock what I was saying before if you hear messages good message lovely message got lots of notes on it smash, smashing but you don't apply it it's absolutely useless mm has to be applied to you or you won't grow it has to become flesh on you 
and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it didn't fall for it was founded on the rock on Christ the solid rock I stand now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall Jesus was saying you can hear this message which was the Sermon on the Mount but if you don't put into practice put it into practice you might as well build on sand because the flood will come and it will wash it all away if you've been building on your own foundation following your own agenda the bulldozer of God's agenda will come and flatten your sandcastles so really what you need to do is to get up on the bulldozer before he comes after your sandcastles and if you're hearing the same message make sure you've acted on it or you will continue to hear it people say I've heard that I've heard it but there's a difference between listening and hearing let these sayings drop down deep into your ears Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echod Hear O Israel that's the Shema Hear O Israel it was always saying Shema Yisrael Hear Israel Hear, hear. What it ends up saying the same thing in Revelation as I said on Saturday hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches hear it and do it hearing and doing that is what faith in action is hearing and doing hearing and doing so you will hear it again till you get picked off with it James says be doers of the word not hearers only and someone I mean most often the church uses that to get into good works you know, oh, we've got to do, we, we're not, <coughs> work works, we've got to do works, works. It's not a works thing. <coughs> it's a faith without works is dead. Your work of faith is doing what you hear and is obeying it. That is a work of faith. If he's told you to do a certain thing and, you, and you've done it, you've done a work of faith. If he's told you to do a certain thing and you haven't done it, you're a hearer of the word and not a doer. So it is time to get into alignment. Another little question. I'm a satellite around him. There he is and I'm spinning around him. What are you a satellite around? What are you spinning around? Is it your house, your job, your money, your pension, your family, your husband, your wife or something else? You fill it in. All these things are important but one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen the better part Mary chose it Martha which is your soul cumbered about with all sorts of things your soul all the while wanting this wanting that wanting answers wanting to justify itself always wanting to stand up on its hind legs and say something but your Mary is the worshipping part of you it's your spirit so when you're starting to learn to regain your inner territory you're starting to learn how to walk in the spirit and the more you are able to withdraw into your spirit man and come into a place of peace and have control over that soul of yours your mind your emotions and your will 
the more you live in the place of rest that uh, Graham was talking about when we heard that little excerpt. Rest is our portion, but the fall has made our soul in supremacy to our spirit, as mm. we learnt when we did spirit, soul and body. That soul takes some pushing out of the place of the executive control. It does not give up its grip lightly. This is why the girl who rang this morning is having a fight. Her soul wants to go out partying, wants to do all the things that will satisfy its fleshly desires. Her body as well has got appetites. They're hanging on and yelling as well. So we, we've got a battle on two fronts, really. We've got the battle of the mind, and we've got the battle with our, our bodily appetites. They're necessary to us, but they need to be brought under control. Um, the sexual part of us, the part that wants the food, all these things are under... Should, we've got to get dominion over them, get executive control over it. Paul says, doesn't he, I beat my body to bring it into submission. In other words, shut up, it says, he says to it. You're not having it. So Mary has chosen the better part. Okay, well, we'll stop there and uh, return again at two o'clock. Okay, thank you. Are you doing it? Yes. Lovely. Right. I was talking about that hymn this morning, uh, Clothed in His Righteousness Alone, actually, was the bit. Faultless to stand before the throne. Was the, was the, um, this is one of the little hymn books that I have. That was I, it by? Pardon? Was it by? Edward Moat. And it's, uh, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Uh, when darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant and blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I mean, they are beautiful. I've, I've just while I was preparing for this, I was um, looking at a few hymn titles that I wanted to bring from time to time. When I survey the wondrous cross, how firm a foundation! Oh, to be like thee! Uh, these are all different hymn titles. You'll recognise sometimes some of them. Uh, Blessed assurance, and a very recent one. Lord, give me a heart of worship as I follow after you. And a spirit full of wisdom that my mind might be renewed. But they express the, uh, the soul's longing after God and, uh, and after the righteousness and the um, holiness that he's wanting to work in his people. They're really, really, yeah, really worth having something like that by you when you're having your time in the morning. So somewhat belatedly we're moving on to Whole or Half-Hearted, which was the title for this, the first session this morning, but we didn't get there. Matthew 6.33 But seek first and only the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. 
and Psalm 63.8 says, My soul follows hard after thee. And of course John 17.3 that we've already had, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I lapse into the King James because uh, it's so poetic and beautiful. If you read Tozer, he's always quoting the King James and it's, it's brilliant. So it's all about knowing him, knowing God. When we first became Christians, we didn't invite him into our heads, we invited him into our hearts. And somehow love grows cold. And some haven't even, even ever known the first love experience. And life takes over and the first glow of the honeymoon fades away. And we're in a season where God is wooing the bride back into the first love experience. First, as I said this morning, into knowing his father heart and then knowing Jesus as bridegroom. And wherever you are right now, there is more, much, much more. So key number one is giving our whole heart to him. Key number two is following hard after him. And key number three is worship as a lifestyle. I was talking to Martin Richards the other day and I happened to say about Abraham offering Isaac and it being an act of worship. Uh, and I, I was about to say there was no music involved, you see, and he, he sort of jumped down my head, throat at the neck, uh, and said, that was sacrifice, that was sacrifice. So I thought, oh, well, okay, I won't go there. I won't explain what I was trying to explain. The highest form of worship, apart from lamentation, is sacrifice. Right. So you sacrifice the thing that is closest to your heart, and that is an act of worship. As I've said to the girls, I always remember the day when God wrested my son Stephen from me and said, he's mine, give him back. And sooner or later, the thing that is holding your heart, as we'll have a look on probably a bit later in the week, it, you don't have it, it has you. If there is something that you cannot let go of because you want to hold it, because you're frightened of what will happen if you let it go, you don't actually have it. It has you. It's a bondage. So those three keys are not all the keys, uh, but they make a start. Sorry, what were the first two keys? The first key, number one, was giving our whole heart to him. And number two was following hard after. Perhaps as we go on in the weeks, someone's just asked, how, how do you follow hard after? As we go on in the week, you'll see it's responding to him. Okay, I can only make today. That's it. Only make today. Well, you can get the CDs, can't you? Um, All the things you said this morning. That's, that's it. Right. Okay. That's it. You see, he is wooing you, speaking to you, and it's as you respond. You, come, you go on in the Christian walk the same way you started. As Graham says, you didn't wake up one morning and think, I'll get saved today. You were probably doing your own thing, minding your own business, and he came, crept up behind you and grabbed you. <laughs> he initiates, you respond. So as he speaks to you, challenges you, you respond, you get hungry, you follow hard after. 
because he puts a hunger in your heart. Nothing, we can do nothing unless he puts it there first. So if you haven't got a hunger, say, God, give me a hunger for goodness sake. I'm lukewarm here. I don't want to be lukewarm. Uh, what's her name? Teresa of Avila. I don't even know if I want to be willing, but Lord, make me willing to be willing, you know. There's a lot of that in us. That is where you see uh, your own stubbornness and self-will. Uh, because you suddenly realise that actually you might be born again, you're just inside the uh, square of the tabernacle there, or the oblong of the tabernacle, but you haven't gone very far, you're sort of easing yourself round the fence, you know, so that you don't get too much, but you're in, just. But uh, God wants us to come into the fullness. He's, he's after us coming through the holy place into the holy of holies and being face to face with him. But for whatever reason, we don't come there. But once you once you get a taste of that, it's addictive, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? So she looking at Sarah. See, Sarah had that glimpse of his glory. Now she's seen that. Nothing else will do. She could not describe it. I've never seen Sarah without words before, but she was without <laughs> words. I can't. It, she couldn't even say it was like. She just. She went to a place. She said, "I mingled my spirit." I've poured, you felt my spirit pour into yours. What a, what a. Could sit here for a week and not get that. So, if we make some good decisions on day one, we stand a chance of following through, not only for the rest of the week, but the rest of our lives, or however we have long before Jesus comes. It's all about decisions. Lord, I'm not satisfied. A.W. Tozer said, if you want a re personal revival, get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. <laughs> so get thoroughly dissatisfied with where you are. Uh, and Lord, I'm not this will not do. There was a song uh, a long time ago, Black Singer. Is that all there is? Mm -hmm. uh, Nina Simone, every time it comes, I say. She's the same one as that I put a spell on you, isn't she? Um, is that all there is? And I remember before I was a Christian singing that, is that all there is? I mean, you know, is that all there is to life? Is that all there is? And then I became a Christian. It was lovely for a while. And then I found myself singing again, is that all there is? And he said, no, have some more. It puts a hunger in your hearts. Um, development and cultivation of the inner life or the interior life is all but lost in today's frantic rush. And this guy, A.W. Tozer, said, and this is the thing I said to you this morning, has it ever occurred to you, 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, will automatically be tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but by another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Mm. What he's saying is so often in the churches that we strive to be in fellowship with one another without each one of us being in fellowship with him. If we're in fellowship with him, we are automatically in fellowship with each other, but we try to do it the other way. Oh, we're having, you know, the fraternity. Never mind about what all the individual members of the church are doing. 
biting each other's heads off within in the, the same churches. That is not unity. That is man-made, and it will never stick together because it hasn't got the glue to hold it together. So it's just what's happened in the church. They become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God in order to have fellowship with each other. And losing sight of him at our centre, we've become more interested in meeting with each other than with meeting mm. with him. And the whole church gains when each individual member seeks a higher life in God. That's the way it works. When I first became a Christian, Joyce lent me a book called Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. It's a little tiny book. It's not even half an inch thick. It's tiny. It took me three months to read this thing. I recognised right early on that I wasn't what where this man talked about and it took me three months to decide that absolute surrender of my right to myself and my will to him was the only way to go. So I gave up my right to choose to him. And my challenge to you is another one. Have you done this? Have you given up your right to yourself? that he may be all because all the time we hear ourselves saying I've got a right to have this we have not given up our rights to ourselves because we're still reserving the right to actually pr protect ourselves and uh, look after ourselves make our own decisions about things oh you will say God gave us common sense yes he did but it's pretty common it's got nothing to do with the wisdom that comes from above. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, they're sons of God, which means you are led by the Spirit in everything you do. We had a, a young lady stay with us, a black girl. She stayed overnight, and you don't realise how people are observing you. And she said, I've never seen anything like it with you two. You pray about everything. She said, no wonder God's here. Everything you do is brought to him to ask him what he wants to do. And he never says, oh, don't be so silly, go away and make up your own mind, you're big enough, <laughs> ugly enough, you know, think about that. Sometimes he'll say, well, what do you think? And we think, hmm, don't think much of it really, Lord. Well, whatever it is you're thinking, that's what I'm thinking. So we, we know where to go. But we bring it to him, we give him the opportunity of telling us the right or the wrong way. In that way, we bring righteous judgments into what's going on around us. You cannot judge righteously if you have not first brought the situation to him, heard what he's saying in it, and then if and when he tells you, you speak into it. Sometimes he will show you things simply so that you pray. Rick Joyner's book, Final Quest, had a passage in it that's brought to my mind right now, and he said in the latter days that God is going to raise up judges that will bring righteous judgments and he said it will be like um, Joshua when the captain of the host stood before him and Joshua said, are you for us or against us? And God said, no. <laughs> I don't come to take sides. And when you're judging righteous judgments, you don't come to take sides. You come to bring the truth and as I've said before, the truth when it comes first is always negative. We will always rise up against it. Bob Mumford tells the story of the man who said, I love truth, I love truth. I'm having a trouble with my marriage. My wife doesn't understand me. I love truth, I love truth. Give me the truth, Bob. 
So Bob thought, OK, I'll give you the truth. Do you really want to know what the problem is? Yeah, I want to know what the problem is. The problem is, is your anger. Anger, anger, me. I'm never angry, angry. Stormed out, never saw him again. The truth, when it comes, is always negative. Bob comes straight in with the truth of the reason for why the man's luck is. Says he comes in, he loves truth, he loves truth. We don't love truth. Cuts right through. Don't love it at all. I don't like it when Joyce tells me things. And I think, ruffle my feathers and go away and say to the Lord, is there a grain of truth in that? And he says, yeah. Oh, all right then. You see, we're all the same. It's the old fallen nature. It reacts against the word of God. Well, none of us have got a nature that will instinctively bow the knee to the Lord, unfortunately. And the only safe way is to start it is to give him your right to choose so that he may be all in all. And as I said this morning, time is too short for me to actually beat about the bush. And this was supposed to be this morning's message. <laughs> And I was going to say, well, if okay, if anybody's finding this message too strong, bless you and, and, and see you and see you around sort of thing, because I knew the challenges that I was throwing out would uh, actually cut. They were meant to, because the rest of the week will show you how to. Um, because uh, God loves us and he isn't going to leave us where we are. The time is short and the kingdom presses hard. In that book there, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer says this about the blessedness of possessing nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what came in at the fall uh, was possessions, position and power. Those were the three drives that changed with mankind after the fall. Before the fall, all, the, all they listened to was what God had to say. They were in a theocracy. He spoke, they did it, no problem, everything went smoothly. In heaven, you know, the angels do not argue or think about it when God says, go do. Oh, think about it, flap my wings a bit. They're off, just like that. Gone to do it. Someone, that, there was a word, wasn't there? I've got it upstairs. She went to, she, the Lord showed her in heaven, and that was what struck her, that the angels instantly obeyed what God said. And she says, not like that with God's people. They don't do it. Just don't do it. So A.W. Tozer says, Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. Mm. The roots of our heart have grown down into things and we dare not pull up one little rootlet lest we die. And he goes on to speak of the classic story of Abraham and his sons Isaac and the Lord's request that he sacrifice Isaac. Um, I remember when Stephen got married the first time, it was a big do, the, married, the wedding was, and there was lots of money being spent. And I duly got my invitation to the wedding. Um, 
and I thought I can't automatically some of you are going to cringe at this but there we are it's the way the walk has been uh, I can't automatically assume that he's going to allow me to go to Stephen's wedding uh, so I prayed and I asked him and I didn't get an answer right away we were in the flat round the corner at the time I was moving between the lounge and my bedroom and the words came to me because thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son and I knew he was saying you can go but I had to do that because how I would have explained to him I wasn't going to his wedding I don't know but he, the Lord would have shown me that and it would have blown the thing apart but that's okay sometimes he will bring you face to face with having to put your Isaac on the altar and choose between him and that Isaac and that is a hard place ask Joyce because she too uh, has been in that place uh, you make your choice but uh, the, it's painful as I say that the, the, the roots go down deep and when they're pulled up it bleeds so in the story of Abraham and Isaac he says we have a dramatic picture of the surrendered life as well as an excellent commentary on the first beatitude Abraham was old when Isaac was born <coughs> old enough indeed to have been his grandfather and the child became at once the delight and idol of his heart God let the, the, the suffering old man go through with it up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat and then forbade him to lay hand on the boy you see you can't hold your breath when God comes to something like this if someone came up to Graham Cook once and said that the Lord has said to me wants me to die so how long will it take and Graham said if I told you you'd hold your breath see we don't want to, to die that's not dying physically it's dying to the old nature and Abraham had to go to the place where he was prepared to do that thing he had the knife lifted sometimes God will cause you to raise a knife over your own ministry never make an idol of whatever God has called you to because I tell you he will take the knife to it if you do what I do here is not an idol to me God is all in all to me if he said I'm taking it away from you tomorrow I would think what am I going to fill my time with now but that would be about all it would be because it, you have to make sure uh, Graham a prayer on one of his early tapes was Lord forgive us when we've made the ministry more important than our relationship with you and if you are called into full-time ministry it is very very easy to do that because the needs become more important oh Lord they need me no they don't they need him they never need me it's that him they need I can give them absolutely diddly squat I'm going to say so to the wandering wandering patriarch he now says in effect it's all right Abraham I never intended you should actually slay the lad I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there remember what was said about Reese Howells uh, he was possessed by God in his book he tells the story or the writer tells the story of when he got baptized in the spirit and the Holy Spirit gave him till six o'clock this evening to decide whether he would have complete possession or not and it got to five to six and he's still sweating with this decision 
and he could not make the decision to let everything go because it was just so hard for him. He was only a miner. He wasn't a. He wasn't a. You know, he was a coal-faced miner. And about three minutes to six, the Holy Spirit said, "Could you do with some help?" <laughs> and he said, "Yes, please." And he popped through. He said, and the Holy Spirit came in. And he's never gone out. Wouldn't you like that? I'd like that. That's like Sarah experienced. Fancy living in that place. Of being in the glory of God all the time. But we've got to go. If he, he said, if I move in, you move out. There's no longer, Paul says it, no longer two lives to be lived but one. If I come in, you go out. Lola gave me a prophetic word last night which absolutely thrilled, the, thrilled, thrilled me. Because some years ago the Lord said to me, uh, step aside partner, it's my day. <laughs> and I said, oh brilliant. So every morning I say to him, not me, you. I'm not, I'm not going out there, you're going out there. And he said to me last night, why are you fasting? You know that I'll give you the words when it comes to it. What are you fretting about? Well, I'm trying to get these bits of paper all organised as I've got, you know, things that I know what I'm doing. And then Lola said last night, it's like uh, you've got to step aside so that, <laughs> so that he can do it. Oh, yes! Oh, love it, I love it. He doesn't take your personality away. He just comes and takes control. When he's finished saying what he wants to say, I'll shut up. So I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. When we start to have a look, which we may well do, at agape love and the, the, the hook of eros, you will be very surprised about eros hooks. How Eros is not just sexual love. Eros is anything where we want to hook it in to ourselves and it's it really stops us coming in to the intimacy with the father while we've got self-love alive and well uh, but that's something else again so he says uh, now you may have the boy sound and well take him back and go to your tent for now I know that thou fearest God seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me now he was a man wholly surrendered, a man utterly obedient, a man who possessed nothing. Abraham wasn't poor in terms of goods. He still owned everything he owned before, but he related to it differently now. It had no hold on him. Bob Mumford calls it the law of re-relating, and maybe we'll have a look at that later on in the week too. He takes you through the ringer and pops you out the other side like the narrow gate so that you relate differently to the thing that held you before you went through the ringer. Bob Mumford uses the camel's eye, you know, that little gate in Jer the wall of Jerusalem um, which was there to... You only went through that at night time, late at night, because there was a guard on that gate 
and it was so small that you could only get through by bending down and you'd get your camel on his knees and push him through, take everything off that he'd got to get him through this gate. And that, of course, the time that that took meant they were pretty sure that you were all right by the time they got you through, so it was a safety thing. But the point is everything had to be taken off to get through that narrow place. What does Jesus say? Enter ye through the narrow gate. Narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. It is a narrow way if you want the fullness of God, because once you're through the hole, you come into the broadness. He's brought me out into a wide and spacious place. You come into the fullness. As we've said before, you go from Nepios to Nepios is a child that can't speak, but unfortunately do. Technon is a child of five or six. Paidon is lads, 13, 14, 15. Always referred to the disciples as lads, Paidon. And Huios is your fully mature son. You can't go up those stages except God takes you. You don't know where you are on them. But when you become a Huios, look at, if you want to see a Huios, listen to at Graham Cook. He's a Huios. He's, he's, apostolic now in his calling in his prophetic calling signs and wonders follow what he does he's spoken of going into do you remember were you at the conference Lola where he spoke about going a day's march out this village didn't have any water and they went it went a day's march out took some guys with him and when they got to wherever they were going the water was brackish and awful and God said to him cut down that tree throw it in he cut down the tree, threw it in, and he was first to drink. Mm -hmm. Who did that? Elijah. Elijah. <laughs> if you want to see a Huey ask, mark that man. You see, if you, if, you, if you want to see that sort of thing, to be in that position with God, where he's sort of saying, what do you think we should do here then? <laughs> You know, you're hearing what he's wanting to do. You're speaking it into existence. You're declaring it over. Absolutely incredible that the cost is just everything, like we started this morning. You set your goal. You set your sights now. And then you start traveling towards that which you have determined you want. If you're with me much, you'll hear me say, my goal is God himself by any road, dear Lord, at any cost. But now guess what my goal is? I want to be possessed by God. I won't stop short of anything less. I want that, Lord. I want what Reese Howell had. I want to be possessed by you. Nothing else interests me. That is my goal. So you need a goal. And then God will show you how he's going to get you there. Mm -hmm. So he related now to the boy differently. He had no hold on him. Before he didn't possess the boy, the boy possessed him because he had his emotions. Anything we can't let go is holding us. Whatever I cannot give up holds me tight and I can't get into the kingdom fully holding on to anything. Once I renounce the thing, God can give it back to me because it no longer holds me and I relate to it differently. That's what happened to Abraham and this is what will happen to you if you give God permission to show you what is holding you right now. So right now, perhaps we'll just break there and uh, ask God, what's holding you?
right now. I'm not sure if this I've probably given you all the tough stuff on the first day so that I'll see how many weeds out then too. <laughs> well, it's like I said, when you're riding a horse you're looking towards your goal. So we've got to set our sights on where we're going and you get to decide where you're going. There's no uh, disgrace about where you decide you want to go. I had um, a picture once uh, I was in a lifeboat, smaller lifeboat, two or three other crew with me. Dark night, rough sea, we were about to go out to rescue something and there was a person standing on the jetty with the May West and all the full piece pleading with me to go on board with us. And in this dream I looked at them and I said, no, you've got all the gear, you've got the kit, but I can't have you as soon as we get outside the harbour throwing up over the side and saying you want to go back. You know, I've got to know that you'll stay the course. Oh no, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. And I thought, no, if you're throwing up over the side, when we get out there, you'll need somebody to look after you. That means I'm a person, at least one person down. I need a tight crew that are going out there to save lives. Because the point was there was this huge liner out there in distress and we were going out to help um, to, to, to save the lives, save lives. Um, and so you can't take people who are not fully trained uh, and absolutely aware that they might die on this mission. They, they've got to be committed to it to go the whole way. That's the way God deals with us, isn't it? When we have a look at the laws of warfare, which we will have a look at, it's in Leviticus, I think, somewhere around, um, uh, in Leviticus, can't remember where. Um, he says, if you're frightened, go back. If you've married a wife, go back and enjoy yourself for a year with her, you know. Because when you get on the battlefield, if you're frightened, it'll frighten your fellows. So you get to choose whether you're really up for a fight or not. Uh, and God needs foot soldiers as well as he, as he needs generals and sergeants and all the other ones in between. So you get to choose. So we're often hindered from giving up our precious bits, as I call them, to the Lord out of fear for their safety. I won't go on too much longer now because I, want, I think the Lord wants to give you a chance to soak um, in a bit more maybe of Graham before you uh, we break at four. So we'll just do... just polish this off we won't actually get round to what I had to do but we'll do that some other time which was supposed to be spiritual warfare which was interesting because when I came to looking at that the Lord said don't concentrate on the enemy concentrate on getting their inner territory back never mind about what he's doing just concentrate on them uh, it says, this is especially true, the fear of letting go, if those treasures are loved relatives and friends. But we really need have no such fears, because Jesus came not to destroy, but to save. And everything is safe, which we commit to him, and nothing is really safe that is not committed. Everything we have is on loan to us from God. The gifts and the talents that is given must also be turned over to him, and then he will sanctify them and give them back in due time. 
A.W. Tozer goes on to say uh, in the same book, The Pursuit of God, if he will come, become drastic enough, this is the person who's uh, surrendering stuff, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. If we would indeed know God in growing intimacy, we must go this way of renunciation. If we're really set on the pursuit of God, he will sooner or later bring us to this test. At that testing place, there will be no dozen possible choices for us, just one, an alternative. But our whole future will be conditioned by the choice that we make. So if you haven't made your choice already, I want to leave it there for you to decide whether you want to be wholehearted with God. Remember, that's what this session was about, being wholehearted. And here is a little prayer. Father, I want to know you, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of their parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without a rival. If anybody wants to pray that prayer, I will keep my head down and I will just give it to you line by line. <laughs> Alternatively, I can photograph it for you and you can then pray it uh, on your own. It reminds me of the day when I handed out the girls that, that little check, wasn't it? I promised to give Jesus everything he asked and signature and date. Little checks, that's it for you to sign. Blank check so that he can do what he likes with your life. Mm. This so, this is that. So, anybody wants this here prayer, I will let them have it. I do not hear any takers coming at the moment, tape. Yes, oh, they do. 